Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening to this, this is From Checker to Green, the podcast all about racing as told by two lifelong racing fans. And from time to time, talking about the business aspects of racing, the green it takes to take the green. Welcome everybody to episode number 35. I am David Maudi. Alongside is my colleague, Elliot Tardiff. Elliot, good evening. Good evening, sir. How is things going with you? Things are going great. February turning to March, and it might as well be winter turning to summer, or at least half winter, half spring turning to summer. Finally started getting days in the 70s, even uh, pushing 80. Probably will push 80 here this weekend. So that'll be nice. It'll be nice to get out and go down to the, the park, my wife and my son, and uh, just enjoy some time outside. And it'll be fun here. So, uh, but life is life is really good here right now. That's good here. Things are going well up here in, in central New York. Um, I mean, hit 40-something today. Looks like we're going to hit um, 40s again tomorrow. And then actually in the mid-60s, maybe 67, might break a, a record. It's supposed to rain, but yeah, I think Sunday I'm going to be out in the garage working on uh, making um, some templates for signs that I'm eventually going to make out pallets and you know maybe bird, birdhouses and whatever I can make with pallets. So I'm starting to get my collection of pallets here. So I got to take those apart, but yeah, things are going well. And I think spring is starting to come. Sounds good. Well, in addition to the, the sounds of birds chirping, and I don't know if there's really a sound that flowers make when they bloom, but in addition to all that, um, the, uh, uh, all of the, the motorsports series here and around the world are starting to take the green flag on a more consistent basis, too. And this past weekend was the first IndyCar race of the 2022 IndyCar season, Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. And it was a heck of a race, a lot of strategy, and a frenetic finish at the end. So, David, why don't we take it away, the checkered segment Tell us some more about the first IndyCar race of the season. Yeah, thank you, Elliot. And most certainly, it was the first IndyCar race of the season, and it packed excitement. We knew going into the IndyCar season, this was the earliest that they were starting in a long time. And on the street course of St. Petersburg, and the it Every year, this race does not disappoint. And again, it did not disappoint this year. So Scott McLaughlin had the pull for Team Penske. And when the green flew, they were off and racing. And that that first hectic corner we talked about last week in, in the podcast, everyone got through cleanly. They actually, there was only one caution and that was the number 18 of David Malkus, who actually crashed um, in turn three, ended his day. That was about eight laps. So the first 24 laps were under green until lap 25. And then they ran green through the end from 33 to 100. But pit strategy was the key. 
it was either going to be two steps or three steps. Some drivers like Joseph Newgarden, uh, Scott Dixon electing the three steps. Guys like Alex Palou, Scott McLaughlin, uh, Will Power electing the, the two-step strategy. And, you know, the, you know when, when you run the three-step strategy, you're, you're banking on maybe at least a couple cautions. We thought we were going to get that for Dalton Kellett at lap 62 when he went off the track. Um, but he actually backed it into a safety area and they didn't throw the caution and he was out with gearbox. So only one caution. So the three strap strategy went out the window right there and then, but it got thrilling at the end. Um, as, as they were racing through Scott McLaughlin was leading. I mean, just looking at the, the, um, Laps McLaughlin started off until he pitted at 26. Then Rossi took over. Uh, Dixon gets by Rossi when he pits. VK then takes over when when Dixon pits, which VK then turns over Scott McLaughlin on lap 62. Then it was Palo when McLaughlin pit, and Palo actually ended up going a couple extra laps than McLaughlin. So the thought was around lap 64 was that Scott Mc, um, that Palo um, was going to try pull off the um, overcut. Well, McLaughlin Gao have him on the warmer tires, so that backfired and put Palo behind him. Um, but it definitely you know, the thinking was, hey, you might have actually a little more fuel because maybe we'll get another caution. Well, then Power takes over on 65, Dixon takes over, and then lap 80, the final pit stops occur with, with, with McLaughlin taking the, the lead at lap 80 when Dixon pit because Dixon had to do his third pit stop. And he led it to the end, but Pelot was closing in fast. The issue was in the final few laps, McLaughlin was getting into lap traffic. Pelot was starting to catch him with about like five laps to go. And so was Will Power. However, the issue was, is that Pelot couldn't use his push to pass. They actually told them, if you use your push to pass, we're out of fuel. We're going to be gone. Um, so he could get close near the end and in the, in the fight, you know, he's closing in with two laps to go. And then in the final lap, as lap traffic came, as they were coming up on um, Delvin DeFrancesco, uh, McLaughlin was, uh, Polo was closing it. He was trying to get him in every corner. He tried everywhere, pass him. He couldn't do it. Scott McLaughlin goes on to win win the race, a, the margin of victory was 0. 0.509 seconds. So if you think about it, if they had at least one more lap, Pelot might have caught him. But Scott McLaughlin, your winner, Alex Pelot second, Will Paro third, rounds out the podium. Colton Herr was fourth, Roman Grosjean fifth, having a thrilling start with Andrea O Sports this year. Renus VK sixth, Graham Rayall seventh, Scott Dixon 
eighth, Marcus Erickson, ninth, Takumo Sato, tenth, and Christian Lungard was eleventh. Other notables, Pedro Award was 12th. Helio Castro Nevis, not having a good start to the season, finish on the lead lap was 14. Joseph Newgard had issues early. They, they put the wrong tires on. A lot of the drivers started on the, the blacks where he went on the reds, and that was it. Um, he just never recovered. He was 16th. Alexander Rossi, 20th, Jimmy Johnson, 23rd, Tatalina um, Calderon, 24th in her first start, and then Kellett and Malkus round out the field. Elliot, your thoughts on this race? Well, we talked about Team Penske eyeing a comeback after last year, and what was, you know, depending on the driver, either um, a disappointment or just a full-on unmitigated disaster, which quite frankly was willpower season. He was able to salvage it late, but the majority of the season was one nightmare after a next, one nightmare after the next for him. Even for Joseph Newgarden, it took him a long time to get his first win. He kind of did what we've talked about, for example, Kyle Larson and Ryan Blaney, where he had a lot of speed, but it just took him a long time to figure out how to win. And what we're seeing here from the first race of the season is Team Penske is back, no question. And they have demonstrated on the road courses at the very least that the road to the championship goes through them because not only did McLaughlin have the dominant car all day. And David, you talked about this where they were trying some different pit strategy on the last round of stops of the day, Pelot trying to do something a little different, trying to sneak out ahead of McLaughlin on the, after the last stop didn't work. Reason being, McLaughlin just had too much speed. You can do all the strategy you want, but at the end of the day, if your opponent has all the speed and you have less of it, then that's that kind of game set match at that point. So there's that. And willpower, he kind of had a little bit of an up and down day, depending on you know where he was and pitch strategy and things. But to end the day on the podium, that's a solid return to form for him. On the flip side of this, Polo, the reigning champion, he's shown that he's not going anywhere either. And he's got something to say about the title for this, this coming year too. They've got a lot of speed over there. And that's not a very big surprise from Chip Ganassi Racing. But it was a little bit notable that we didn't really see much of Scott Dixon on this day after he has so, shown so much speed in previous seasons. So that's also kind of worth noting. But the big that's the big takeaway f- to me from yesterday is Team Penske is back in a big way. I, I have to agree. And I, I, I definitely agree with Tim Penske being back in, in a big way. But I got to tell you this, 
I was just looking at this on Racing Reference dot uh, info, and the past four. So uh, going back to twenty nineteen, those starting in twenty nineteen, the person who's won the first race of the year has gone on to win the championship. So that that tells you something. Getting that first win of the year, how big it is. How crucial that's 54 points that McLaughlin has right now that is going to come to him, you know, in the end, he, especially when you go to like the Indy 500, when it's a double point race, that will be huge because double points are on the line. So have a good day there. And, and I think, you know, McLaughlin's going to be on. Now, we'll, we'll see what happens in Texas coming up in a few weeks. But if McLaughlin shows, shows um, his strength at Texas and does well, then I think, that, I think the odds of him winning the championship are, and keeping this streak alive is going to be much better. But with, with that said, IndyCar is back for sure. And, and we're going to see an exciting season, Elliot. But there is one other race we had this weekend. IndyCar was kind of your precursor to the net, the cup race in Fontana at the All Club Speedway. Elliot, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, this was the first Speedway race uh, the, featuring the new car, the Gen 7 car. And there was a lot of interest in how this car was going to do this weekend. And it did not disappoint, at least in terms of the headlines that it created and the difficulties it created for a fair number of teams. There were a lot of crashes in, in first practice, uh, a lot of teams not even getting up to speed yet. In the case of uh, Kevin Harvick, great example. Um, the very first lap of his practice, he found the wall coming off a of turn four. And there were a few that were like that. Ross Chastain having a huge hit in his number one car for track house racing. So there was that. And then going into qualifying, um, the, the apron in turns three and four, which drivers have been able to use to make some time um, in the past, didn't really work so well this time. It upset the car so much that when drivers came back onto the banking and were trying to get a good exit coming off of turn four, the car was so far out of sorts that there were pretty much everybody that tried the apron ended up spinning or crashing out entirely. So that was also very notable. Um, Austin Sendrick carried over his momentum from the Daytona 500 to the pole position for this race. Um, and then once we got into the race itself, um, the, uh, while the Fords were strong initially, it ended up turning into um, a, a really big um, Chevy party up front, including some drivers that in the past, we really haven't heard, heard much from um, Daniel Suarez, Eric Jones in the 43, the petty, um, uh, petty entry. Tyler Reddick was having himself a day until some problems late. 
Um, but he was a fast car and was leading a lot of laps. By the end of the day, though, it was um, a familiar face, just like with uh, the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg uh, for IndyCar. The same was true in Fontana for the Wise Power 400 for the Cup Series. Defending champion Kyle Larson found himself towards the front of the field, um, especially by later on in the day. Um, and by the time you had some faster cars that uh, found found themselves in some trouble during the course of the day. Um, we talked, uh, I talked about uh, Tyler Reddick briefly. Um, Chase Elliott was another one that was uh, a very strong car all day, um, but found himself um, uh, in the wall going into turn one late um, after an uncharacteristic mistake by Kyle Larson um, and the two of them making contact on the front straightaway, sending the nine into the wall and eventually spinning out and out of contention for the day. Um, Christopher Bell, not having a, didn't have himself a very good day. Um, Brad Keselowski, um, another race where uh, he found himself uh, in a lot of headlines and in uh, a lot of the, uh, the caution notes for the day. Um, involved in at least two, if not three, uh, crashes during the course of the day, including one um, later on. This was lap 159. Really wasn't his fault. Bubba Wallace um, was to the inside of him, and Bubba's car got away from him, and he chased it up the track and into the side of the six, and uh, that was pretty much the end of Keselowski's day in terms of being in contention. He still finished. He finished 27th, but two laps off the pace. At the end of the day, though, it proved to be Kyle Larson um, holding off the furious charge, not only from Eric Jones, Daniel Suarez, but also Austin Dillon in the three car for Childress, um, for Rich Childress Racing. And it was Chevy's taking the top four positions, Larson, Dillon, Jones, and Suarez. Joey Logano had a strong car all day, but found himself finishing fifth at the end of the day. Stuart Haas Racing had themselves a solid day. Um, Eric Almirola being the only driver thus far to, uh, the only driver of anybody to have two top 10 finishes to open the two uh, first races of the season. Kevin Harvick came back from his practice crash, the team fixed the car, um, didn't go to a backup, and they fought from the back to the front, brought the car home in seventh place. Kurt Busch had himself a solid day, bringing it home eighth. Daniel Hemrick in the college racing number 16 entry finished ninth. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who himself had a fast car all day, um, brought it home in 10th place. Other notable entries. Uh, or notable finishes, Austin Centric, the pole winner, uh, finished 12th. Truex Jr. was 13th. Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin were 14th and 15th, respectively. Chase Briscoe, uh, one of the feel-good stories from Daytona last week, brought it home 16th. Um, Bubba Wallace brought it home 19th. And Todd Gilliland in the number 38 entry for Front Row Motorsports rounded out the top 20. David, your thoughts on an exciting Wise Power 400 from Fontana. 
Well, I gotta say, I wasn't sure how the next gen car was gonna was gonna go. I mean, we we've seen. Uh, I mean, we, we've seen races at Fontana, and they get you know they they get racy four wide or that, but usually someone gets gets you know strung out and, and dominates. But you know, I'm looking at the lead changes on Racing Reference and 32 lead changes. That was thrilling. That was an amazing race. I was rooting at the end for Daniel Suarez to win it. I mean, he almost did too. He almost did. Oh man, they used everything of that track in the final few laps. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was. They had that apron figured out by the end of the race for sure. Oh yeah, and, and they figured out how to navigate that bump in in three and four. But yeah, it just was amazing. It was great. It was fun. I mean, kudos to Larson for for holding off, and, and kudos to Chevy after Daytona went, you know, just was like a, a just like a, a blue oval fest. Yeah, yeah, blue oval fest, and it, it felt like that. Um, the the Chevys had like you know, 500 pound weights added to them because they just couldn't do anything. Way to go. I mean, it, it was amazing. But look again, Eric Jones, Suarez, guys you wouldn't expect in the old car to do well are, are doing much, much, much better. And I'm, I'm looking at, I mean, it, it was a thrilling race. It was amazing. I can't wait for Vegas this week to see how thrilling that's going to be. But, you know, you saw it with the new car. These cars would kiss the wall and not have any damage or cut a tire down. And that's how they designed it, you know, so mm -hmm. they could keep going. Maybe they fall back a little but then they get their momentum back and there they go. But looking yeah. at, I mean, looking at the point standings, I mean, if we went playoffs now, Chase Elliott's out of it. Eric Jones is in it. Bubba Wallace would be in it. I mean, these are good. I mean, Daniel Suarez would be it. These guys, these are names that are in the top 20 of points that last year, just struggled mm -hmm. so i mean it, it is i mean is vegas going to be something for for the toyotas this time we'll see what happens but mm -hmm. yeah i i'm a great race great yeah. race indeed yeah this was a, a really fun like you like you said dave it's really fun race and it really showcased what it was they were trying to do with this car in that not only were the cars difficult to drive, um, but they were also really, really, you know, comparatively speaking, um, not only to the previous car, but the previous racing package that they had here, um, much easier to pass. And like you said, David, the, the fact that they had 32 um, lead changes and it was just one pass after another, you know, they were flipping from, one position battle to the next, to the next, to the next. And, you know, they're, they're racing three wide 
for the the race win towards the end. Um, yeah. So it certainly speaks well to um, to the the new car and what it is they're they're trying to do with this. Um, so in that regard, they definitely get very high marks there. Now they do have some issues that they still need to work through, and yeah. the chief issue being when a car spins out and as happens when you know a car spins out you know the the um tires get graded down and a lot of times they pop and you're trying to limp back to the pits on one or more flat tires well in this new car they don't have an inner liner on them they just you know the the, the way the tire is designed now with it being a little wider and so on and so forth there isn't enough room for there to be an inner liner in the tires. Um, and so that presents some issues in getting cars back to the pits, get some new shoes on them and back into the race again without them losing a lot of laps. And that was, we saw this, this problem at Daytona and it definitely um, was a feature, um, you know, not in a good way, but it was definitely a headline that came out of Fontana. So they've got some work to do there to figure this out. But I think the, the, the sum of the racing that we saw, the sum of the experience overall was positive. Um, like you said, this, this, this car is really hardy. It can take a lot of damage um, and it races really well. And if there is a major problem in practice or qualifying, then teams are more likely to affect uh, fixes on the car and not really have to go go to a backup if they don't have to. Um, the fact that Harvick whacked the wall as hard as he did and the team basically cut the whole back of the car off. I was, saw it on Twitter and put it back together again, put the body panels back together just so to get it through inspection um, without too many problems, if any, um, certainly speaks to, it speaks to how well the teams can work with it on the fly to um, to, to fix it and get it back racing again. Um, I think it was Rodney Childers tweeted afterwards that the extent of the, the repairs that they had to do to the car in Fontana versus what they what would have had to happen with the old car um, was night and day in terms yeah. of how much time it would take and the amount of resources it would take um, to get that car race worthy again. So uh, that was pretty notable also. Yeah, most certainly. And, you know, and, and NASCAR changed the policy up. It, it, I know that with that is, you know, if they, if the driver sit, stays in the car and they tow them back, they're going to allow them to get the tires changed. Um, I, I think the, the question was, I, I think they were, you know, I, I think they're allowing them to, to skirt away from the, the damage Clark because it's a flat tire. But I think, I think Larry Mack brought this up during the broadcast is the issue is, or is, is they got blocks under there. So when the tires go flat, the blocks get caught. So they can't move them as easy. But yeah, okay. it's, I mean, they're going to do that tow rule in, um, 
so it is a learning process, but most certainly, I think your gang exciting racing. I'll say my final thought on this before we head to break is it reminded me of the old Dirac races when they used to run three, four wide at Michigan mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and yep. just like, just go race. And, you know, yep. the, the guys want the drivers want a little difficult car. They got it. So, but they, they are, it, it's working out well so far. So, so far, so good. It is. And one more thing to note too, and I'll offer one more thought before we uh, finish up too, is how much off throttle time there was in the corners. Um, and that's, you know, a huge change from the previous speedway racing rule package to this one. The previous package was a low horsepower, high downforce package, a lot of on throttle time, very little time off the throttle. And, you know, kind of took the racing out of the driver's hands. Um, and, you know, the thought was it would result in closer racing. Oh, it really didn't. And I think the quality of, of the racing suffered. They went to a higher horsepower, lower downforce package, um, more difficult to drive, more time off the throttle and look at the, the quality of racing we had on Sunday. Yeah. The legendary football coach, Bill Parcells was famous for, you know, a lot of quotes. And one of them is you are your record. You are what your record says you are. Well, Sunday's record was pretty darn impressive in that regard. So be interesting to see how the, um, this next race Vegas plays out. We'll talk more about that, um, later on in the episode, but for now, the checkered segment is over. We're going to bring the car back to the shop. We got, uh, some, uh, repairs to make heading into the next race. And we've, uh, got a spotlight, um, that we're going to talk about formula one and some, uh, major changes or some, some major news that has come out, uh, in recent weeks, um, about, uh, some contracts and how all that plays for uh, some specific teams in Formula One and what it means for Formula One as a whole going forward. All that on the other side of this break, this is from Checker to Green. The From Checker to Green podcast will be right back. Do you want a topic to be covered or guess we should have in the uh, future episode? Well, you can drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Gmail at CKRD, the number two, GRN at gmail.com. Your feedback drives our content for future episodes. If you like the episode you are listening to, then you can listen to our previous episodes at podcast.com. Apple Podcasts, and coming soon, Google Play Music. We thank you for your listenership. And now, back to From Checker to Green. Thank you, David. Our spotlight segment this episode focuses on Formula One and some recent news surrounding the Red Bull team and some major contracts that were signed for the team and for one of their drivers. So, David, let's talk about it, and let's let's kind of go down the list here and um, discuss the ramifications of it. Yeah, um, the first definitely. thing, 
Yep. The uh, the first big news that came out this, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago now was uh, this, the announcement of a new title sponsor for the Red Bull team. And that is the uh, the company Oracle, which signed a $500 million deal with Red Bull, I believe, over the next five years. So yes. $100 million per season for Red Bull. And then not long after that, it was announced that the 2021 Formula One world champion, Max Verstappen, um, was going to be staying at Red Bull for the next four years beyond the end of this season, uh, signing a contract worth, I believe, at least $50 million per season for the uh, the next four um, after this coming season. So um, definitely a lot of money uh, flying around at Red Bull um, to uh, uh, keep their championship streak alive. And actually, some more breaking news on that that came through today or this morning. It wasn't a four. It it, it actually Red Bull confirmed that Verstappen is now going to be there through twenty twenty eight. Very so good. it is a six year, so six more years he has. Um, and he's the highest paid Formula One driver. And he's along with Lewis Hamilton, it's the same amount of money they're making. I saw that stat today. Yeah, so I think it was what 50 or 55 million a year. Yeah, 55 million a year. Yeah, that's that's a and crazy number. There's NFL quarterbacks who wish they get 55 million a year. No kidding. Yep. Um, so let's let's talk about some of these numbers because it's important to remember about Formula One that uh, one of the the other noteworthy things, especially from the business side, is that Formula One teams operate under a, a budget cap uh, for a large part of their operations, and the the cap is very strict. Um, and it's actually come down a little bit from last year to this year. Um, According to RacingNews365.com, um, a recent article written by Dieter Renkin, um, the spending limit last year was $140 million. This year, um, uh, actually, it's going to be $140 this season and $135 million next season. Um, and so it's for some teams that it's a little bit of a challenge to keep it under that number. Um, but there's some important notes about what is covered under that cap and what isn't covered under that cap. Um, what isn't covered under that cap, among other things, is driver salary. So teams can spend as much as they want on drivers um, and also certain other team personnel too. Uh, as far as I'm aware, there's no... Uh, cap on how much they uh, teams are willing to pay these individuals. So um, in that regard, if you're a well-funded team and you want the best drivers, then you can go out and go get them. And that's exactly what Red Bull did in this case, um, uh, keeping their championship winning driver, Max Verstappen, in the Red Bull fold for the foreseeable future. 
Most, I, I mean, it, it is amazing what has, I mean, what has come out of that, Elliot. And, and you know, you make a very great point. You can, you know, drivers, they can pay whatever they want. So if Ferrari wanted to make a power grab or, or McLaren and say, hey, Lewis, I know you're making 55 million a year. How about we double that for you? I mean, what? What makes him say, hmm, you know, double? Okay, I'll do it in the cap. I mean, I, I was, you know, you, you mentioned about that cap, you know, you know, because the drivers are affected. I was reading an article on ESPN about the Oracle deal and Red Bull, and now they're going to be called Oracle Red Bull. And you know, they, they see that, that this deal with Oracle is going to help stretch their budget further. Um, you know, they, they've got, you know, their cloud computing is a C, is the way of seeing it. Um, some of the, the quotes that came out in, in Christian Horner, who they talked on um, the F1 races quite a bit, he yep. says... He's, he's the uh, team principal for Red Bull. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, you know, there he quotes in this, we're all, we're all about this, about speed and speed of response. Then he goes on to say, we're pushing the Oracle technical guys, but they're responding in the best possible way. And that's what makes this partnership very exciting. And you have to think about, they're not the only Formula One team partnered with a tech company. McLaren if you've seen those, I believe it's the Intel commercials is partnered with them on, on those commercials. So it's, I mean, the, the way technology's evolving in this sport and the way that they're, that, you know, the caps are coming down, they are trying to figure out you know, the, the best way they can get their bang for the buck. And I think signing these tech sponsorships are huge. Now, the other thing that, that plays into this that I think is a very big key is where's Oracle's headquarters located? Austin, Texas. Well, what's in Austin, Texas? Coda, Circuit of Americas. You got a Formula One race in their backyard Oracle can go ahead and maybe go sponsor that. And on top of it, they can bring a whole bunch of people to CODA for to see the Red Bull team. So, I mean, it's a win-win situation for both of them. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, having that, the, the power of cloud computing and, you know, with everything that that Oracle is doing in that that sphere um, is going to be huge for them. And ditto with Intel. Um, that's that's going to be a huge deal for uh, uh, for McLaren too. So, and and I think it's. I mean, if you think about the, um, I mean, if you think about it, you know, the, these teams are going to need sponsorships. I mean, signing to a hundred million dollar deal a, a year is smart you know that gives you about 45 million to play with or 40 million and it's going to go down and who says that 
you know, just like the NFL, um, I mean, you see this quite a bit and, you know, you talk about salary caps and, and let's take it from um, the NFL perspective because they're going into off season now and in free agency and that what teams will do if they're under the cap or they need to free up cap space. Um, sometimes what they do is they negotiate deals. So what they do is they'll negotiate a deal. Um, this is, you know, I, I've kind of heard things that this might happen with Patrick Mahomes, that they may actually renegotiate his deal, extend it out more, lower how much they're paying so they can free up space. So sometimes you could, you know, you might be able to do that if your partnership's going well, saying, hey, we want to sign you to like, you know, we, let's extend the contract out of five more years, but let's, you know, let's lower that number a little bit. And, you know, so it's, it's amazing that, you know, from a business standpoint, caps, you know, really in the sports world do have an effect on what you have to do in this, um, you know, to make things work because there are severe penalties for being over the cap, especially in formula one, um, you know, the penalties are severe and it's not the, it, 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 you know, you don't want to be in that situation, especially when you got a good team like Red Bull who has the, the reigning world champion, who may be a, a force to reckon this year. It looks like Mercedes may, may be better in, in Barcelona, but we'll see what happens um, in a few weeks when we kick off the season. But yeah, I just, I mean, I, I'm looking at it and I think, you know, just the just the way the sports moving forward, how Formula One, who and um, probably had a, a bad situation to end the year, um, it is definitely starting off on some good news this year. I mean, looking forward to, I mean, the these technology companies and that, I mean in Formula One, I think it's definitely going to be a good deal with them going forward. Yeah, these these companies, you know, we've been, Formula One has always been a series that has pushed the envelope, especially from a technological standpoint. So these companies, it, it, it's very much a beneficial relationship for everybody. And I think it may also be notable as well that you're seeing companies that um, are, uh, you know, we talk about Oracle, talk about Intel, you know, companies that are you know, maybe Western based as well, that, you know, we see other teams, you know, that have signed some some pretty big deals um, with, with companies that, you know, because of recent events, you know, might, might be in some trouble now. Um, a great example being Haas with Earl uh, Kali, I think it is, yeah. um, the um, Dimitri Mazepin's uh, company or a company that Dimitri Mazepin is a, a major owner of and whose son 
uh, Nikita Mazepin is a driver for the Haas team. Um, and with everything that's been going on uh, lately with uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and sanctions that have been levied um, against uh, a, a wide range of Russian assets and a lot of outrage that has resulted in Russian sport and Russian events um, being canceled or uh, excluded from major uh, sporting events. Um, it's put the Haas team in a pretty tough place. And you know, that's obviously an ongoing matter that we'll be keeping, you know, that we're keeping a very close eye on. And um, we'll probably have a lot more to say about in, uh, at a spotlight and uh, uh, an episode upcoming. But uh, that's, that's still a, a very much rapidly evolving situation. So uh, I think we're, this is a quick aside in, in terms of what we're doing to watch all of that. It's the best we can do right now is just um, observe, see what all is happening. And then when the, the time is right to discuss it and what all is, is um, what all the, the complete ramifications are, and you know, then then we'll be in a position to talk about it at that point. But I say all that to say that um, you know these are are companies that, uh, from an investment standpoint, I think are pretty safe um, and bring a great deal of value um, back to uh, the teams that uh, they're signing on with. So uh, this is a uh, these sponsor announcements are terrific news. Um, uh, it's uh, really positive for uh, Formula One going forward and big positive, a big lift for Formula One uh, heading into the 2022 season. And, and, and you also got to think, I mean, you got to think, you know, for Oracle, the Drive to Survive series has increased the Formula One base in America and they are going to Miami. They have a second race. Uh, there's been potential talks that maybe a third race in America down the road, I've heard. But it's, I mean, with that said, it's gonna that that helps Oracle because that's people. I mean, Oracle is a software company, and a lot of businesses use Oracle. So it and, you know, if they can get into that personal sector, if they can get in that business sector, it's going to help them. So it is a win-win in the end for, for Red Bull and Oracle, but it, it will help bring money to Oracle because of the fan base that's coming and the way they could use that to turn, turn the products. Now, the, the other big news is we said, is for Stappen, and, and let's change to that, and let's talk about that. That now he has a five. Now he's there to twenty twenty eight, and he's now essentially co highest paid driver in Formula One. Um, I think eventually this was his coming for Stappen. Um, I think after. Ricardo left um, it, because re, after Ricardo left Red Bull, Verstappen shined. And Verstappen 
has become a fan favorite. And I think Rebel paying him that much and locking him down for five years, considering we're seeing the driver changes. We know Andretti auto, you know, we know Michael Andretti is going to come into formula one um, in 2024 or is lining up to with Colton Herta, um, which would mean that, you know, he would need another driver. I think this was a, a smart move to do it now. I think this was a, a power play move by, by Red Bull. It was smart. It let's lock him down. So he does not um, go anywhere for the next six years. Um, Elliot, I want to pose the question to you. Who do you think now that we've have Hamilton and, and um, for Stappen get this big deal? The, the question I'm going to pose to you is, are we starting to trend to we're going to start seeing these massive paydays in Formula One. That's a really good question. And I think it depends on uh, just how much talent there is out there that can win Formula One races. Um, I think right now we've got some really, really strong talent that's out there. Um, yet even with um, with that level of competition, uh, somebody like a, a, a Verstappen who excels even in an in environment as competitive as this can get paid to that extent. And same thing with Hamilton. You know, I think this is just, it speaks to the market right now. Yeah. Now, will that beget other major contracts going forward? It's tough to say. Um, you know, I think it's the... The next challenge I think will be for like, it would be interesting to me to see how much somebody like a George Russell is getting paid, how much a Ricardo is getting paid, how much somebody at Williams might be getting paid. And let's talk about, okay, how many wins do they have? And are they, at the end of the day, I think that's, that's what it all comes down to. And we saw this in NASCAR too, and drivers that won and won you know, with, with some regularity, if they were, you know, kind of in a, a contract season, they were taken care of. That's so in terms of whether or not we're going to see these big numbers going forward, I think it's a possibility, but it all comes down to who's bringing home trophies. So I've actually got the, um, I'm actually looking right now on spot track and I've got the salaries. Um, Beautiful. so spot tracks, amazing. Um, I use this quite a bit. I'm, you know, I'm a big Buffalo Bills fan, NFL, the, the station I listen to out Buffalo, um, you know, even though I live in central New York, thank you, technology. Um, you know, they, 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 the morning show turned me on to this and I've got the salaries right now. So here's the salaries, Elliot. So Bodice is making 10 million. Now this is in us dollars. Bodice okay. is making 10 million. Uh, Zohu is making a million. Alonzo, 20 million. Alcon, 5 million. Vettel, 15 million. Stroll, 10 million. Mazepin and Schumacher are both making a million. 
Norris 20 million, Ricardo 50 or 15 million, Hamilton 40 million, but supposedly there's 55 million, uh, 5 million for Russell, 25 million for Stapp, and we know now that's going to be higher, 55 million, Perez 8 million, Albon 2 million, Latifi 1 million, Gasly 5 million. Sonoda 75K, Leclerc or Charles Leclerc 12 million, and Sands 10 million. So it, it's 75K or 750K. That seems or 750K. Sorry. Okay. 750K, which is, you know, it's so, yeah, it's, I mean, if you're looking at these driver salaries, I mean, the one I could see next is maybe Norris. I mean, getting the next payday, but I mean, it's it's all going. I mean, it's all going to be very interesting based on that. Um, I mean, Russell. I mean, five million to to sign him, and Bodice is making ten. No wonder Bodice went went bye bye. <laughs> yeah, uh, possibly, but says, but that's uh, true. But at the same time, you know, Bottas did win a, a fair number of races. It'll be interesting to me, to me to see what happens with Russell this coming year. Um, you know, being teammates with Lewis Hamilton, um, you know, obviously the expectation is he'll probably be there as a, in a supporting role for Hamilton. But at the same time. If he has an opportunity to pick up some race wins himself, we know he's got the car. Yeah. It'll just be a matter of if the, the right circumstances present themselves. Um, and if that does, it'll be interesting to me to see if that, that if his contract is restructured uh, such that he, he does get paid more. Um, I think it's notable too. You said Ocon was, uh, was it 2 million or 5 million? Yeah. Two? Uh, I think it was five million. I'm 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 looking at NASCAR contracts right now, and and look at Kurt. Actually, they don't have the current salaries. Um, like yeah, those those are are uh, NASCAR salaries. I think in general are a little more difficult. Um, yeah, to like to get like like Kyle Busch. Um in 2020 was making like his salary slash pride his total salary was 17 um was 17 million but that's also factoring in the prize money and you know you got endorsements yeah um a million okay uh 1.7 million so i mean but but it's two different ball games there. But yeah, I mean, with, with Formula One, the, the salaries that they're making, it, it's unbelievable what they're making. And, you know, it, it, it's such wide range. Yeah, Akon, five million. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it's Alonzo. Alonzo's 40, and he's deserved that. Um, 40 or 20? Alonzo? Yeah. He's making 20 million, but he's 40 years old. Okay. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, you gotta think for Stappen's 24 and he's making 55 million. Hamilton 
is 37 and he's making 55 million. I mean, unbelievable that Verstappen has come into his payday much earlier than Alonzo, much earlier than than Hamilton. You know, it's just amazing how that is. And I think, you know, I, I think this is going to be a trend for future. I think if you do well, you're going to get paid more. Definitely. Um, but it's also worth remembering too, Red Bull's kind of known for being a little bit aggressive um, and in all different aspects of their, their operations. We certainly saw it on pit road last year uh, with some of the pit calls they made and you know, that tends to apply with how they approach the business side of uh, their race operations and the personnel that they have uh, representing their team at, so, uh, at the highest levels, including the driver level. So Hamilton's salaries actually come down. Um, in 2020, he was making $76 million. Hmm. Where for Stappen was only making 26 million. Mm-hmm. And in 2021, we had Hamilton making 62 million. So Hamilton, so so I think what is with Hamilton's deal is it probably was we're paying you up so much up front and we're just gonna work your, you know, as you continue. We're just going to pay you less and less, which makes sense for the age for Hamilton. He's going to be 40 in a few years. He may be retiring. So that, that makes sense. We're, we're for stepping. Hey, we can get away with 55 million because, and because you're only 25, you know, you're only 20 something years old right now. You've got plenty of racing left in you. So I think that's, um, We'll kind of have to see how that's, that shakes out, but we'll, we'll keep an eye on those deals as they go along. And, and we'll, we'll touch back at the spot track site as we go. Sounds good. Um, there will, um, you know, there's deals flying back and forth fast and furious in Formula One, but you know what's going to be flying fast and furious? The cards, the chips, and the cars this coming weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Lots to talk about this coming weekend, uh, especially in NASCAR. We're going to get to that. Um, and our final thoughts in this episode on the other side of this break. This is from Checker to Green. The From Checker to Green podcast will be right back. Are you looking for that competitive edge for your business or event? Well, Samurai Graphics can design your logo, business card, letterhead, invitation, and flyers for your business or event. Samurai Graphics accepts different forms of payment and will give you that competitive edge you need. Contact Samurai Graphics on Facebook or at samuraigraphics716 at gmail.com. Samurai Graphics, your business solution. Now back to From the Checker to Green podcast. Thank you, David. 
It's time to go green and look forward to this weekend's events, specifically the NASCAR events at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. David, this is going to be an exciting weekend, mile and a half, high banked speedway, lots of speed. It'll be interesting to see um, on the cup side how this new generation of race car, how the, the teams and the cars take to this track, um, and certainly other compelling storylines across the um, uh, the other major series heading out to Vegas as well. Most certainly, indeed. So, Elliot, we got a lot of track racing going on this weekend at Las Vegas. We've got the trucks in action tonight while we're recording this podcast. We've got the Xfinity Series Saturday. Then we got the Cup on Sunday. Elliot, let's talk about the Xfinity Series right now. Let's do it. Um, um, yeah, there's certainly some compelling headlines for, for the Xfinity Series coming out of uh, Daytona and Fontana. Some really interesting racing last weekend. Um, a lot of uh, uh, overtime cautions, um, but uh, Bobby Dodder's team with Cole Custer uh, taking the win, uh, that was uh, a huge, uh, huge deal for the series and for Bobby Dodder's team. Uh, Dodder being uh, a part of the Xfinity series and a part of NASCAR for a long, long time. So it was a long time coming for him, but at the same time, um, colleague racing with AJ Allmendinger, uh, has been showing a lot of speed. As a matter of fact, uh, they ran qualifying earlier today and, uh, Allmendinger took the pole for tomorrow's race. And I believe that's three for three now for, um, colleague racing and pole positions in 2022. So, uh, certainly a lot of speed for them. Uh, Almondinger, I don't think, has had the finishes to show for that speed, but this is a place for it. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he has won here before. So um, I, I it'll be think he has. Yep. So it'll be um, a really entertaining race. Um, you've got all of the junior motorsports teams. They're really strong. Um, a lot of strength in the Chevys um, uh, heading into this race and the Toyotas. Uh, Ty Gibbs is up there. Um, Riley Herbst in the SHR number 98. Um, he's kind of uh, uh, one of the few Fords that are showing uh, uh, some speed, but he showed a lot of speed today, qualifying third for tomorrow's race. So that's big. Josh Berry, um, you know, a, a feel-good uh, headline in recent years, feel-good driver. Um, he's up there. He qualified second. So certainly the junior motorsports folks are going to be favorites, uh, odds on favorites this coming weekend, but colleagues going to be a, a favorite too. And, uh, Herbst, this is his, uh, hometown racetrack, if I'm not mistaken. So he's somebody that has, I think there's definitely a, a little bit of a spotlight on him in terms of a driver that needs to start showing some, some finishes, start showing some speed, uh, for the, the team that he has around him. So it'll be interesting to see how, how he does this weekend too. But um, at the end of the day, I think it's probably going to be between um, colleague and the junior motorsports folks with maybe somebody from, from Gibbs in there to play spoiler. I, I have to agree. And I, I mean, last weekend, junior motorsports showed, you know, they, they were in, in at the end, um, you know, bailing, trying to catch Custer, so, I mean, it, it was great racing, and I, I think that's the one thing that you've seen, especially on the cup side, 
is the Chevys are actually doing well at these cookie cutter tracks. So I think Mm -hmm. if the Chevys do well, um, I mean, Xfinity is like almost, I mean, 27 out of the 38 starter. um, Let's see, 26 out of the 38 starters. Um, Yeah, actually, no, correction, 27 of the 38 are are Chevy, but I mean, it's just that there's just more there. So yeah, I I could see Junior doing well or Herps or one of those guys doing well. Yep, for sure. And then looking forward to Sunday, um, you know, this is uh, of the tracks that we've been to uh, thus far this year, at least in terms of points paying events. Um, Vegas is probably one of the narrower tracks thus far. And so while you've got, um, you know, a car that seems to be a little less dependent on arrow, um, and a, a racing package that's a little less dependent on arrow and, um, tends to reward handling a little bit more, being able to run well, um, kind of offline, um, and maybe away from the bottom might serve, um, some of the usual suspects that we think of at tracks like this. And I'm thinking of people like Tyler Reddick, like Kyle Larson, um, that aren't afraid to, to run the top and get a lot of speed and do really well up there. The question is, will they be able to do that across 400 miles? That'll be interesting to see. But at the same time, um, obviously with Larson winning the race last weekend, he's shown he's got the speed. Tyler Reddick also showed that he had a ton of speed by being up front, leading a lot of laps um, and showing a lot of potential. So I think for those two, if they can um, survive the race without a major mistake and, you know, really walling it hard, then they're going to end up competing for the win. I think that said, the Fords, they've shown a lot of a lot of speed too, um, and it'll be interesting to me to see if you see a um, an established Ford team like a Ryan Blaney, like a Kevin Harvick, that um, can be fast, but we may not necessarily have seen too too much of them thus far this season, at least in terms of uh, their their performance at, at Fontana last week. So it'll be interesting to see how they do this weekend too. And so that headline of Chevy versus Ford, and oh, by the way, Toyota's in there, is an organic and very compelling storyline going into the Vegas race. And that's another headline too, or another story as well, is if the Toyota team's can kind of break out of their little funk that uh, they've been in thus far this season and uh, compete for the win Sunday too. Most certainly. And I mean, they, they've got 36 teams. Everyone makes it. Hey, Greg Biffle's going to run it. Um, Balicki, Hemrick and Smithley are, you know, some of the drivers, actually they got 37 entries not, not 36 and looking, I mean, just looking at this, I mean, you know, these are tracks that, I mean, you know, these are tracks that Hendrick's been good at, 
Um, I I still think, you know, I, I think you're going to start seeing Chevy's doing well on the two miles. Um, if California was was a um, precursor to this and told you anything and we're getting good data points out of it. But I mean, look for the Chevys to be well up there. I, I agree. I think Reddick is, you know, I, I think Reddick has had some misfortune this year, but he could, you know, this could be a race to come back in. I think Chase Elliott needs a big bounce back. I mean, we were talking about points earlier. He's 18th. Um, and, you know, you need, you can't start falling too far behind now in the points because when it gets closer to the playoffs, um, you may need that win. And if you can't get it, you may have trouble making the, the, the cut for the round of 16. Um you know, does Larson repeat? What about Bowman? You know, anyone out of the Hendrick, but yeah, Kurt Bush, the, the Gibbs guys, Bubba Wallace. I mean, uh, he's, he's, uh, he had a good race last week. Um, they get involved in the, in the wreck at the end, but he still was running well until that rock. Yeah. Um, the, the question will be is Keselowski. How's Keselowski going to do? I, I'm going to have my eye out on him. You know, he's had a couple rough weeks. He, he had a rough time at Daytona. He had a, a rough time at California. Let's see how he does. But that qualifying format I like where A, B goes, and then the top 10 get to shoot for another position while the rest get their times combined. So I do mm-hmm. like that new qualifying format. So it'll be interesting to see who takes the poll this weekend. Indeed. Um, yeah. If, uh, of all the people that we've talked about uh, thus far though, mm-hmm. I think this is the the race where you see um, Tyler Reddick take on the checkers. I think this is going to be his, um, if not Fontana, Vegas is another one of his uh, home tracks being uh, from California. So this, this West coast swing is, you know, kind of home court for him. So, yeah. um, you know, he's shown a lot of speed thus far this year. And um, I think you'll have the car to get it done on, yeah. on Sunday. Um, now, now the question will be um, in those practices the, the question would be, and we saw this happen, a bunch of teams didn't take time because as soon as you took it to the garage after practice, you lost out in your qualification. We had one failed tech inspection and lost their qualification, and that was Kurt Busch. But we mm-hmm. saw a lot of cars that happened to, I think it was about nine of them, that missed out in qualification time. So the question's going to be. I think it was what, last week, right? It was last week. Yeah. At yeah. California. So the question will be going into this week. What, what do the teams do to, to help themselves? Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. 
keep your eyes on practice to see what the car's going to be like. Elliot, you know, I had told you, I said, you know, let's see what happens with the cars breaking. We knew that was going to happen. So I think it's going to be an, I, I think we're going to get a good indication what from practice, how these cars will handle. So stay tuned on that and mm-hmm. watch that. Uh, practice is 10.03 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. tomorrow um, to 11.05, qualifying after that. I believe those are on FS1, so keep an eye on those practices because that does tell you some things. Yeah, for sure. Um, be a fun weekend. Um, can't wait to check it out. Can't wait to talk about it in uh, the yeah. next episode, too. Um, so with that, uh, let's jump into our final thoughts, uh, yep. this weekend or, uh, for this episode. Um, and David, there's, uh, some, um, been some developments that have come out of IndyCar here in recent days. Uh, one of which is a little bit of a melancholy one, uh, the passing of, uh, the flying Hawaiian, Danny Ungaius. Um, so if you want, um, tell us about that, tell us about, um, Ungaius and, um, why we're going to miss him so much. Yeah, Day and Gaius, I mean, you, you said the flying Hawaiian NHRA driver. Um, he ran sports cars with Mickey Thompson. Um, he did, I mean, he, I mean, he actually set a records at Bonneville. Um, and he also ran in the Indy 500. Now, Danny Ungaius probably is known for um, a, a couple things in IndyCar racing. Um, he was a fierce competitor. He was a, he was a smart driver. Um, in 1979, he put the number 25 on the front row the year Rick Mears won it. He made 11 starts between 77 and 1996, according to Racer.com's Mark Glendaling. And his entry was the number 25 Interscope entry, that black car. But what he was mostly known for was things that happened in Indy. Besides the crash at Michigan, where he would barrel roll down the back straightaway in, in the 80s, um, you know, he didn't have much of experience with open wheel, but he took a swing at and was actually really good. Um, and, and he probably could have won a race, but in 1981, the infamous crash in turn one, um, the, the scary crash back then, you know, live TV, they couldn't cut the cameras right away. And, and it was a tape delayed event. Um, his legs hanging out, you know, and he looked like he was actually dead. Uh, but, you know, Dr. Steve Olvey in his book, Rapid Response, described this. And a very young Dr. Terry Trammell, who was a doctor on call at Methodist Hospital, who eventually became the orthopedic doctor for IndyCar and worked with the Dr. Stephen Olve, um, reconstructed his leg. Um, 
granted, he ended up being a little bit shorter on that. Um, I won't go into details. Just if you can find the book, read it. You'll understand that why Danny and guys wound up being shorter in one leg, but he, you know, that brought him back to IndyCar racing. Dr. Trammell saved him, saved, you know, rebuilt his leg so, and he could race. He was, he, um, his other infamous incident was in 87. He was driving for Penske, and I think he would have won it in 87. He got hurt in a practice crash, and we all know what happened. The late great Ellenser took over and won that, but Dan guys paid that favor back years later, um, nine years later, when Scott Brain was killed in 1996, and John Menard needed a driver to fill that seat, and that was Danny Ungaius. Um, Ungaius was a great racer. You know, I, I had known his name. Um, he made his debut at Ontario, but he he may have never he, he got his first win at Michigan, but hey, he did Andy, and he. I think if it wasn't for misfortunes, he would have won an Indy 500 at some point. So God bless Danny and Gaius and he is, uh, and his family. What one heck of a driver. Yeah, one heck of a driver and um, by all indications, a, a really respected individual in, in the garage. Um, and a yeah, sad day that, that we lost him. And like you've said, sympathy and condolences and warmth and peace to his family um, during this time. Another big uh, piece of news was uh, Danny Sullivan going to uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Hall of Fame. That's you know well-deserved for a driver that, among other achievements, executed the famous spin and win in 1985, um, spinning while battling Mario Andretti for the win and coming back to win the race over Mario Andretti. Um, so uh, certainly a, an accomplished racer, uh, accomplished formula or, uh, open wheel racer and a well-deserved honor for him. Yeah, most certainly indeed. And would have won in eight in 88 if he didn't crash, um, just after halfway. And, um, you know, he had that Miller high life special and, in 1988, they changed the colors on Miller High Life, and they went to that gold, green, and white. And um, it, it was said during the race, Sam Posey said that right, you know Miller wanted to have a green stripe on that car. And I think um, you know he said Roger Penske was always leery of having the color green on a race car. Thought it was bad luck, but. He did like the uh, the the uh, the color green because of the money, so he went with it. Had two bad, you know, crashed in eighty eight, crashed in eighty nine, raced with the broken cast with Penske. He was a great driver in eighty two. He spun um, at Indy. He he rocked at Indy during the race, and um, he. You know, he went on to drive for Alfa Romeo with, with Guerrero. He had, he drove for Walker. Um, 
you know, he had a fabulous indie career. So just, just glad and he had a good broadcasting career. He, I loved him as an analyst with ABC. Um, so he goes in with Wally Dollenbach this year. So that, that club just gets bigger and bigger, but congrats to, to Danny um, and Wally Dollenbach. For sure. Um, so terrific way to, uh, to round out this episode. Um, a great racer, well-deserved honor. So good on him and a lot of fun racing to watch this weekend. I can't wait. And I uh, want to thank our, our uh, listeners for uh, tuning us in and checking out another episode of From Checker to Green. And uh, we can't wait to come back in episode number 36, uh, break everything down uh, from this past weekend. And we'll have an interesting spotlight of some kind and uh, hope to uh, have a live guest on uh, sometime in the coming weeks as well. I'll be working on that. Um, so from Elliot Tardif, thank you very much for listening to episode number 35 of From Checker to Green and we'll catch you on the next one. I'm David Moy. Thank you for listening. And we'll catch you on the the next episode of the From Checkered to Green podcast.